You are live with Get Connected. It's me, Mike Agarbo, and Andy Brar in studio, as always. We're going to be giving you the latest in tech news and gear and gadgets. Uh, we've got an awesome show today, Andy. Later on, we'll learn how to live stream in 360-degree video. We'll also be learning how to kill those dead spots. I don't know if that makes sense, kill the dead spots. Well, yeah. Uh, in your home for your Wi-Fi and how to have the best Wi-Fi ever. And... This is, I mean, I'm so excited about uh, our first guest coming up after the next break, talking about Atari 8-bit computers back in the day. And this is a big thing. Back when I was uh, a kid, and you were as well, because we found out that you were not a millennial now, Andy. That's still up to debate, okay? No, it's not. Uh, I think uh, science has proven. No, there's there's no consensus on what year millennials start at, what, what birth year. But some places say I am a millennial, and some places say I'm not. But... Either way, I'm one of the original uh, millennials, if, if there was such a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll look into that more. Uh, back in the day, uh, not everyone could afford Apple II computers. They were thousands of dollars. So uh, there was this whole market for cheaper computers, and the two big names there, Commodore and Atari. So you were either a Commodore guy or an Atari guy. And Andy, what were you? I was the Commodore 64 guy. That is too bad. Why? Because I was the Atari guy. It was a Atari, Atari was cool. No, like everything I know about computers started from that original computer that we had in the computer room at my elementary school. So, Well, whether you were an Atari guy or a Commodore guy back in the day, we've got an awesome guest, uh, uh, Jamie Lindino. He's got a new book called Breakout, How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation. Uh, so we'll be going back in time, kind of geeking out about old computers. Yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this a lot because uh, I know you really loved your Atari. and uh, I have one still. And you still have it. Yeah, yes. it's in the studio. A uh, lot of news this week, uh, Andy. Uh, this was interesting. Adidas printing 3D shoes. How does that work? Well, yeah, all the uh, shoe manufacturers have been experimenting with 3D printing, but uh, it hasn't gotten to the the point where they can mass produce it. They've been making these small batches of these 3D printers, printed shoes. But the whole goal is that one day you could walk into um, a shoe store, get your feet scanned, and then get shoes made directly and correspondingly to your feet. So it's like if your feet were like a glove, it would just fit perfectly in there. And they haven't had the technology. So what Adidas has done is they partnered with a startup in California that has a different technology on how they – they basically mold 3D printed material. And what they're finding is that it's going to be able to work 10 times as fast and at half the cost than earlier models, which is something I think, Mike, we're going to see with all the shoe manufacturers in the future. We're going to be able to get 3D printed shoes specifically for our feet. I came across a story, uh, Andy, uh, this week that I just thought was kind of hilarious and frightening at the same time. It's about connected homes. We're getting more and more of these devices uh, they allow you to control different things in your house from your smartphone, whether you're in the house or out at the office or wherever, as long as you have an internet connection. Well, there's a company called Garagett, and uh, a customer bought this kit on Amazon, uh, installed it in his garage, and it's supposed to allow him to uh, remotely open and close his garage door. It's got a camera as well. Anyway, he wasn't happy with it. It wasn't working up to what he thought it should, and he ranted about it on the Amazon uh, message boards. They're saying it was stupid. Yes. Anyway, the founder of the company saw it, got upset, and basically cut off his access to that he his, did. his garage door. I, I read this story as well. <laughs> what he did is he saw that, 
replied back to the guy saying, you know, he, you could tell he was emotionally mad. But what he did is he just basically said, now you can't use it. We've disabled it. He knew what kind of code to match what his garage door opener was. And he took him off the system like altogether. Then there was a big backlash to that. Yeah, because that's wrong. It, it is wrong. And you could tell that he wasn't really thinking. He was probably like cranky or something when, when this happened. But he did have to restore that. But it's not going to help his reputation. And what he was saying was the guy didn't set it up right. He didn't follow the instructions. But either way, that's probably not the best thing to do. If, if they have a PR company, which I don't think they do, they would not be recommending that type of uh, reply to a customer that's had some issues with their product. Well, we'll, we'll have to stay on top of that one. Also in the news, uh, this is good, uh, Facebook to use photo matching to block repeat revenge porn. And that is a huge issue online. Uh, unfortunately, some stupid people wanting to get back at uh, an ex-wife, lover, girlfriend, boyfriend uh, will post pictures, uh, most of the time like nude pictures, online to get revenge. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's laws uh, passed uh, about this, making it illegal. More laws uh, are coming. But Facebook is trying to, to help in this regard as well. Yeah, they, they basically announced in 2015 that images uh, for, like, revenge porn was not allowed on Facebook. But they were getting a lot of criticism that they weren't doing enough to curb it. And so now they got this new tool that if they find and you say you can flag a, a photo as being a nude photo of me – and then what Facebook does is it searches to make sure that that doesn't come up uh, again. So it has to stay in some type of registry for that to happen. They actually have a team of people at Facebook whose job is to look at these photos, a, a small team, I should say. But they have to basically classify it. It gets flagged, and they're going to try to remove it right away to minimize the potential damage that it could cause for people because it can be very, very serious. It can ruin lives, and in some, in some instances, people have committed suicide because of revenge porn. Good on Facebook. When we come back from the break, there's so much tech to talk about today. We're going to be... Uh, looking at the old Atari computers and how they defined a generation. If you are concerned about your Wi-Fi network in your house, you're trying to get it better, there's a new technology called mesh networking. We're going to learn the latest from our friend Matt over at Linksys. And later on, our friend Ted's going to explain how to live stream in 360-degree video on your smartphone. Stay tuned. Lots more to come. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. Still lots to talk about on today's program. Later on, we'll be uh, talking with our good friend Ted Kritsonis on how to live stream in 360 degrees from your smartphone. This is super cool. There's so many new gadgets out that allow you to do that. Yeah, there are a couple of different options. So we're going to talk to Ted and learn all about them and which one is right for you. Also, uh, we will be chatting uh, about mesh networks, how to make your Wi-Fi network at home bulletproof and not have any more dead spots. Right now, though, I'm, I'm super jazzed. Uh, we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. On the line, we have Jamie Landino, editor-in-chief of ExtremeTech.com. His new book, Breakout, How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation. Jamie, thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about this uh, just before the show. I was uh, chatting with uh, Andy here, my co-host, and uh, back back in the day, you were either an Atari guy or a Commodore guy. Uh, I was the Atari guy. Unfortunately, Andy was a Commodore <laughs> guy. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about your book. What uh, inspired you to write a book about old Atari computers? 
I mean, it's pretty much what you just said, right? Like, we still have it kind of in us, even though it's been 30, 35 years. You still remember the feeling of just being, I don't, I don't know if love is the right word, but, you know, you just this computer meant so much to you, like, as a kid, and that's what it was for me. I just, ever since I was eight, I had one, and it just kind of ended up informing, like, everything I do today as a tech journalist, and, yeah, it was just a wonderful machine. It was so powerful. I just wanted to write a kind of love letter to it. <laughs> I have to get this book. Uh, I remember I had an Atari 400 computer. Uh, that was the yeah. coop, uh, the key. The keyboard wasn't like a real keyboard. It was just kind of a membrane uh, because we couldn't afford the Atari 800 <laughs> computer with the uh, the real keyboard. No, sure. Actually, I, I said in the book I started about the 400. I started on the 400, and I even talked about the. Uh, the uh, keyboard that you could buy third party to stick onto it so that it would make it feel more like a mechanical keyboard. Yeah, well, you know, hey, you had to suffer for your craft, you know. Why do you think they were so popular? Was it the price? Well, the price was pretty good compared with the uh, Apple II. Uh, you know, the Apple II and the TRS-80 and the Commodore PET 2001, they all beat it to market by a couple of years. That was the uh, the first wave of personal computers, like 1977. In 79 and 80, these, those machines still weren't very good at playing video games. And everybody knew the Atari 2600, which back then was called the VCS, the video computer system. This was kind of the 8-bit Atari computers, like the 800 and the 400, were kind of the first ones to combine both being a good home computer and an amazing game machine, which I know sounds silly, you know, today looking at an Xbox and a PlayStation 4, what those do. But back then, you didn't have coprocessors to do graphics, and that was one, that was the first machine to come with them. What I loved about uh, the Atari 400 uh, was that it would it would use the uh, the joysticks from my Atari video game console, and like you said, the games you could get for the 400 were so much more amazing than that that Atari uh, console. I remember uh, uh, Star Raiders. Do you remember that game? Yeah, was, that was probably the killer app for the platform, as they call it. Yeah, it was a phenomenal game, and it was 8K. <laughs> that cartridge. I know, but it was, Andy, Andy's looking at me in the studio <laughs> right now like we're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Talking about things that are like 30, 40 years old. Uh, but, you know, so they, they had that first generation, uh, the 400 and the 800, and I know lots of listeners out there probably had uh, one of those. Uh, and then they evolved uh, the line. Right, they made the uh, XL line and the XE line. Uh, Atari was basically kind of confused about what to do with the machine. There was a lot of tension. Like those two things we just talked about, being a good home computer and a good game machine, uh, management was never really settled on one or the other or both for that machine, and so it kind of languished. And they also prevented uh, third-party developers from uh, making software for it for the first couple of years. So it was a shame. They had this great machine. A lot of great software did come out for it, but they kind of see it as an early advantage that, you know, things could have been very different had they had their messaging together at the time. Let's talk about some of those software companies. Uh, Broderbund, that was that was a huge one back then. Oh, yeah. Broderbund was phenomenal. Uh, yeah, you know, you have some of the uh, star developers uh, and companies like Electronic Arts got their start. Uh, either on the platform directly or, or producing ports of games for the platform. Uh, but yeah, they date all, all the way back to then. So Synop Software, there's a lot of them. Even Electronic Arts was uh, just starting out back in that day. That's right. Yeah, Archon was one of the early uh, hits for that company. Very cool. Do you still own any of these machines? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I talk about in the book about buying them again or collecting them. I don't have my originals anymore, which I regret to this day. But when you live in New York, you have no room for anything in an apartment. And I mean, just, there's like there's no space. So I didn't keep them. And I ended up buying or rebuying five different Atari machines to write the book <laughs> just because I needed them here. And as you can imagine, you know, they're a little bit wonky now after 30 some odd years. They're not exactly super reliable. But nonetheless, it was a ton of fun. Do you know what? I have my original Atari 400, Jamie. Uh, I actually brought oh, it on. Great. I brought it to the office. Uh, we do a TV show as well, and it's actually sitting on our set. Yeah. Every, everyone thinks it's crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy, like, people actually use that as a computer. I'm like, hell yes. That was, that was my computer. That was cool. It was a great machine, and, and also that keyboard was spill-proof. Yeah. There was a reason for it. <laughs> Andy, you're just shaking your head here. Well, I'm just wondering, guys, is, is there still a market, a resale market for the Atari? Are, are you people still playing these games all these years later? Yeah, there, there are still, if you go on eBay, I mean, they're no longer $30 for the machines like they were in the 1990s and 2000s. Now they've gone up in value to a couple hundred dollars. But um, there's still a vibrant uh, enthusiast community. They're making, a lot of people have made modifications to the machines to add features they never had back in the 80s, um, and there's people still talking about them. Everybody still remembers. Okay, the, the, so it might not be like, you know, mainstream, but I mean, there's still a, a very active community. The machines are starting to go up in value now. Okay, this might be a dumb question, but I have to ask both you guys. Uh, what was before 8-bit? Because that's really what I remember, 8-bit, 16-bit, you know, and it just kept going. But what happened before that? We mean, um, I can barely, I can only barely hear you. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Uh, what happened before the 8-bit computer? What what kind of processors or, or technology was there before that? Well, pretty much uh, the computers. Well, the personal computers started out as 8-bit machines. Except uh, it lets you go back to the kits like the Altair 8800 in 1975 that you had to put together yourself. Remember, at the time, computers were basically room. Uh, the size of rooms, or you had mini computers that were still these giant appliances. So, 8-bit was kind of where it began for uh, the the launch, of the, you know, the, the home computer revolution, as they called it. That's what that's what all the machines originally started out as, and they had an 8-bit processor like a, a 6502 or an Intel uh, 80. Uh, what, excuse me, a, a Z80. They had these old. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> we're going back very far. <laughs> Jamie, do you know what I remember? I remember buying computer magazines back then, and what was exciting about it is like they would actually have programs in the magazine, uh, not like a disk or anything, like pages of code uh, that you could actually type in to your Atari computer and and have like a, a game. I mean, it would take you for freaking yeah. ever to type that in. I don't know if you did that with a Commodore. No, no. no. Uh, but you would sit there, honestly, for hours, hours, and if not days sometimes, especially with the 400 computer because it didn't have the real keyboard. And then at the end, you hope to God that you typed in everything correctly because if you were out even one letter or number, it wouldn't work. It would just freeze up or turn the screen black or just say error and back, throw you back to the ready prompt. Yep, yeah, I, I spent, yeah, I spent countless hours doing that. Uh, Antic Magazine was my favorite. Oh, I my got God. that every month. Uh, and, and they didn't have hard drives back then for, for these computers. Uh, I, I, I bought the cassette. And so you could actually sure. buy games on cassette. And <laughs> it was a pain in the butt, Andy. Like, I had to sit there, uh, and you had to hit... Uh, you know, the right play button at the time when you hit the run command. Uh, and it would take literally four or five minutes 
to load the game <laughs> in. Wow. You could basically do a whole slow cooker recipe in the amount of time it took yes. for these things to work. And I remember, and something I had forgotten in doing the book and reading the old manuals is that they recommended you only put one program per cart uh, per cassette uh, for safety purposes, and so you don't accidentally overwrite anything. And nobody ever did that because cassettes were expensive in the early '80s. So you'd put, you know, this program at the tape counter zero and this program at the tape counter 63 and yeah one false move and you'd erase what you did the last <laughs> time and it was oh boy it was crazy yeah. and yeah you know typing those programs in from the magazines if to god you did it right and it worked you could then save that onto the cassette which took forever again but then you also again had to hit the save command and you had to push down the record button at the right time and again hope to god that it actually saved on the cassette we've come along one of the story Come oh, yeah. Way. One of the stories I told in the book was my dad and I typed in this flag program that took us hours. And, of course, we didn't get it right. So we had to figure out the problem. And we eventually finally got it to work. We spent, like, all of a Sunday on this. And then when we finally hit run and it worked, it displayed an American flag on the screen. And my dad was, like, incensed. He was like, that's it? That's all it did? We spent all this time? <laughs> And it, it does all it's going to do. It doesn't do anything else. And I was like, no, it doesn't do, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Stupid and computer. That was kind of the end of it for him. Like, he, was, he had it. Oh, my God. So many good memories. Uh, where can people get this book, Jamie? Oh, they can get it on Amazon. It's in print and it's uh, Kindle. You can get either version. Very cool. Thanks so much for joining us, Jamie. And obviously, people can find out more about you on extremetech.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was Jamie Landino, editor-in-chief of ExtremeTech.com, talking about his new book, Breakout, How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation. If you had a computer back in the day, you probably had an Atari or a Commodore. If you had the Atari, you got to check this book out. It's uh, super awesome. When we come back from the break, still lots more tech to talk. We're going to be talking about how to really take your Wi-Fi network to the next level in your home and also how to live stream in 360 degrees from your smartphone. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio today. Still lots of tech to talk. Later on, we'll be uh, learning from our friend Ted Kritsonos about how to live stream in 360-degree video from your smartphone. The technology is here, and you'll be able to do it with the right gear. Andy, the prize this week. This week, we are giving away the Motorola Moto G4 Play smartphone. If you're in the market for a new phone, you got to check this out. This has everything that you would need and expect in a smartphone, including an 8-megapixel rear camera and a 5-megapixel camera on the front. It's also water repellent, so if you spill something on it, it's not going to harm your phone. And with 2,800 milliamp hour battery, it's going to last the whole day. It comes in a nice small form factor as well. All you have to do, and we changed up our contest. We've been listening to you, the listeners, and you wanted us to have our contest on Facebook. You just go to our Facebook page. Just go Facebook and type in Get Connected Media, all one word, and you will find our page, and you can enter the contest right from there. Again, it's the Motorola Moto G4 Play. Enter to win on our Facebook page, Get Connected Media. Well, now we want to talk about Wi-Fi. We all use it in our homes, our businesses, out in the city now as well. There's new technologies emerging that will help make Wi-Fi bulletproof, literally, uh, in your home. No more dead spots. It's called Mesh Networking. On the line right now, we got Matt Whalen. He's a regional product manager for Linksys and Belkin here in Canada. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks, Mike and Andy, for having me back. It's great. 
Excited to talk about this. Uh, this is something that's just kind of uh, emerging uh, over the past uh, year. Uh, we all have Wi-Fi in our homes now. That's how we get our internet access. That's how we share that with all the different devices, laptops, tablets, smartphones. Um, but it's been a challenge sometimes. If you've got a larger home, uh, the problem with Wi-Fi signals is they've got to go through walls and ceilings and glass, and you don't always get great penetration to all areas of the home. Matt, can you explain to the listeners what mesh networking is and how that is different from the past? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the, the way you described it is, is pretty much spot on. Like, and What we've seen is the traditional router, whether you bought one from Linksys or another manufacturer, or you happen to have a gateway from a Shaw or a Telus that gives you Wi-Fi, what we've seen happen is th- those typically are, are great products, but to your point, those hard-to-reach areas, whether it's the third floor of a, uh, a larger home, whether it's the east side of a one-floor bungalow, whether it's a triplex being shared or a huge condo downtown, um, trying to penetrate through some of the walls, a lot of Wi-Fi interference from other devices. Sometimes the Wi-Fi just doesn't reach that corner. So what a lot of people have done is they said, okay, I'm going to go get a range extender and I'm going to add this to my network. And range extenders have some limitation in that if you've had one of these, and the listeners will know, now you've got multiple network names. You've got Matt's Wi-Fi, Matt's Wi-Fi Range Extender. If it's dual band, Matt's Wi-Fi Range Extender 1 and 2. So you get all these different names, and it's not seamless. And as you move from upstairs to downstairs, you know, your tablet is connected to the initial Wi-Fi, then it drops and picks back up again. So what we've done at Linksys with our mesh solution, which we call Velop, is we've 100% eliminated all those different nuances to where there's a dead zone, to multiple network names, to connecting to one and hopping over to the next one to uh, by creating this mesh network system. And essentially what it's doing is if you have more than one of our developed nodes placed in your home, these wireless Wi-Fi, essentially routers, each one of these are routers that are placed in different areas around your home, are one network name, one seamless, reliable mesh Wi-Fi network, talking to each one of these nodes using one Wi-Fi name, one password to get you the fastest internet speed seamlessly as you walk, as you move, as you stream, as you game, as you video conference, as you VPN, all those different things that you do on your network today where you may have had drops-offs or cut-offs or lag with a mesh system that no longer is the case. I almost liken it to uh, having a cell phone while you're out in the city, uh, you know, and maybe listeners don't realize that, but as you're driving uh, in your car and talking on your cell phone, hopefully hands-free, you're going from cell tower to cell tower, but you don't know that because it's just seamlessly handing off your call uh, to the next tower. And essentially mesh networking is kind of a, a similar idea, isn't it, Matt? It is, absolutely. It's a great analogy, Mike, because when you think about it, that's just the expectation, right? Whether you're in your car, whether you're walking, you've always got three to four to five bars. When you get down to one, everyone panics, but it's probably because you're in the middle of nowhere. But for the most part, everyone's got lots of bars and you're always connected. That's the expectation, and that's what we're now able to deliver with these mesh Wi-Fi systems. No longer is it, oh, I'm at one bar, and now I'm going to get on my Wi-Fi range extender and pick back up five bars again, but I've manually changed. This is all seamless. As you move, the same experience you would have with bars on your cell phone is now the same with the Wi-Fi bars in your home, whether that's on your tablet, your smartphone, your Nest thermostat, your speaker, your TV, whatever it happens to be. Matt, what kind of square footage are we talking about in terms of Wi-Fi coverage that you could get with this mesh network? 
Yeah, so uh, for our systems, we offer a couple different varieties. We've got a one-pack, a two-pack, and a three-pack. And each one of our nodes, the way we built them with our design, the antenna placement, all that cool, funky engineering, um, we're saying that we can cover up to 2,000 square feet per node. So I know how you two roll with your big 6,000-square-feet homes on the West Coast. I'm based in Toronto. Mine's a lot smaller. We're but super rich, Matt. We're super rich. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, of course, of course. And that's why I'd recommend the three-pack, right? Up yes. to 6,000-square-feet. Um, someone like me who's got a smaller abode on the East Coast of Canada, I only need a two-pack for my home. I've got a 2,200-square-foot, one-floor bungalow, and it's more than adequate for me, right? So, um, yeah, in terms of coverage, really depending on what you need. The nice thing about this, too, is, if you buy a one or a two pack and you hit the lotto and you're out in a nice 7,000 square foot home in North Vancouver and you decide you need more, these are scalable systems. You just go, you get yourself one more developed node, you add to it, and that just keeps adding square footage and coverage to your seamless network at home. What I like about these uh, nodes uh, as well is that they don't look crazy, stupid, techy either. Uh, they actually could kind of fit in with the decor in your home. They're kind of like uh, square monoliths almost. Yeah, and that, that was a huge consideration for us. So when we looked at this product, we said it's got to do three things for us, and Mike, you just hit one of them. It's got to look good. I, I, I worked for Linksys for the last eight years. I've had countless routers in my home, and it's the first time my wife actually said to me, you can now put this out in the open and <laughs> um, allow it to be shown to folks. And that was a huge thing for us. It's aesthetically pleasing from you know the, the design to where it sits to the cable management system on the back. The second thing was the performance. We talked a little bit about that, ensuring that it's great Wi-Fi performance everywhere. And then the last thing is just ease of use. You know, it, it is incredibly, incredibly easy to set up. It's an app-based-led setup, whether you've got a mobile phone, whether you actually uh, have a, a tablet, you can do it from any one of those types of devices. And then once it's up and running, you want to manage your network, you want to check in on stuff, you want to block certain devices or access, all that's available from our Linksys app as well. Matt, uh, where can people find out more information about this? So you can go to linksys.com and we'll redirect you to the Canadian page if you want to go check out some of the main retailers in Canada. Of course, they've got it up there as well. So lots of details called Linksys Vela, V-E-L-O-P, uh, and that's what you got to know. Matt, making the Wi-Fi world a better place. Doing my best. <laughs> One note at a time. <laughs> One note at a time. That was Matt Whalen, Regional Product Manager for Linksys Belkin. When we come back from the break... Lots more tech to talk. We'll be uh, learning how you can live stream in 360-degree video from your smartphone. How do you do it? What gear do you need? Stay tuned. You'll find out. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of uh, tech coming up on the show later on. We, of course, will be talking with Christina Stoyanova with her app of the week. Right now, though, we've got our good friend Ted Kritsonos. He is on the line. How are you doing, Ted? Good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Wanted to chat with you because uh, obviously you are much smarter than both Andy and I. Uh, Very true. So you always bring the level of the show up. Uh, but to talk about live streaming and specifically in 360 degrees. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting topic. Over the past few years, uh, we've seen uh, video streaming from our smartphones increase uh, in quality uh, and popularity. Uh, Facebook Live is very popular. Uh, but now... Some people are taking this to the next level with 360-degree streaming. Ted, tell us how we can do this. Well, I know that Samsung is pushing this because they, uh, with the new Gear 360 camera, 360-degree uh, three, camera that they're going to be launching, 
they do want to include that uh, as a feature. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and Andy might be able to correct me on this, I believe the older model, the first model, may be able to do this as well. I'm not sure. But the, the new one definitely will. And the idea being that you can shoot in 360 degrees with the camera and then live stream it uh, through YouTube or Facebook uh, in real time. Um, now, you are not going to be streaming in 4K, though. Uh, even though the second, uh, the newest uh, Hero 360 is going to come out, will be able to shoot in 4K. You will not be able to stream at that resolution. You will be able to stream it in 2K, which is good. I mean, it's still good. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's a, there's a bandwidth consideration there uh, in, uh, in chopping that down. Uh, so obviously you need the right gear. Uh, I guess it would be important that you have a powerful smartphone, uh, and you obviously have to have a 360-degree camera. Uh, in this particular solution you're talking about, um, the Samsung folks have come out with this new camera that allows uh, that streaming. But uh, from what I understand, it works best with uh, their new Samsung Galaxy 8 phone. Uh, well, that's how it was before. So uh, with the previous uh, Gear 360, it only really worked with the uh, with with Samsung certain Samsung uh, smartphones. So now with the new one, they're saying that they're going to actually uh, they're actually going to support the iPhone. Uh, so various models of the iPhone will be supported, and eventually other Android phones. Now, naturally, if you're using an S8 or even an S7 or an S7 Edge, S, you know, S8 Plus, uh, if you're using these phones, yes, I mean you're going to have the power uh, of the phone to you know, to see the content and then be able to stream it. The catch, of course, is what kind of bandwidth you're talking about. So if you're in a Wi-Fi environment and you're using it and you have enough of, a, of an upstream to funnel all that video live, fantastic. But if you're going to be doing this with, you know, whatever data bucket you have as part of your monthly plan, <laughs> you're going to have to be a little careful because 2K video, especially when it's 360 degrees, I mean, these are pretty fat tiles. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind uh, if you're, uh, you know, trying to go nuts with this. So Wi-Fi is obviously the best way to go. I would advise that, yeah, <laughs> which is not always easy, right? Because if you're trying to take, like, a cityscape um, and you're, you know, you have a really great outdoor view of, a, you know, whatever it is you're looking at, it's going to be hard uh, unless you're in an environment where there is Wi-Fi. So it's going to be challenging in certain situations, whereas I think in others it won't be. So if you're indoors and you have Wi-Fi available that you can make use of, then you're good to go. And so where am I live streaming to? Is it Facebook, YouTube? I I was told that it's YouTube and Facebook so far, uh, and that Samsung will have its own uh, its own portal as well uh, for, for this. So those are the three that I'm aware of at this point, unless Samsung announces anything else. I mean, bearing in mind, of course, they have not launched this camera yet. They've unveiled it, but they have not officially uh, set a date. They haven't, uh, as far as I know, they have not set a date as to when this new Gear 360 is coming out. But I expect it will be very soon so that they can take advantage of the summer months. Ted, are there any 3D cameras on the market right now that can do live streaming? Uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure that. There are, uh, that, you know, I think there probably are uh, a couple that might uh, be able to do it. Um, they may have somewhat different use cases. I mean, one that I can think of that comes to mind is the Ollie Cam. Uh, that's a 360-degree camera that's mainly designed to be inside the home um, as a security camera. Um, so that can actually stream as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you can you can make you can actually use it. 
shower uh yeah yeah shower. yeah you definitely don't want to be live streaming 360 in the shower <laughs> not my shower <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're kind of in the early stages of this aren't we ted yeah yeah absolutely i mean for sure because it's it, it, you know to be able to stream let's say now in 360 degrees and 4k uh massive file sizes so you're getting a lot of bandwidth to upload that and then to stream it live, and we're just not there. I mean, especially with the data buckets that we're used to getting now, um, it's just not going to happen. So if you're on Wi-Fi, yeah, you have the potential for that. Um, but you know, even home Wi-Fi, even home internet uh, packages, the the upload stream is actually pales in comparison to the download stream. Like, I mean, you might have 100 megabit download and then 10 uh, megabit upload. So, you know, it's, it, they're going to have to raise that uh, in order to really funnel all that, all this content uh, upward. Ted, I want to thank you for joining us today and uh, helping us understand uh, the 360-degree video and streaming it. Where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, I guess on Twitter and, or Instagram, uh, at byteddyk, B-Y, Teddy K. Uh, I use the same handle for both. Ted Kritsonos, our tech friend and journalist. When we come back, more tech to talk. And, of course, uh, coming up, Christina Stoyanova with her app of the week back after this. You are back with Get Connected. It's that time of the week. It's time to get our app on. Christina Stoyanova is in the studio. What do you got for us this week, Christina? I have a little design app for you today to help you rock social media. I, you know what? I, I need all the help I can get, actually. Um, yeah, you definitely do. There's no question. <laughs> so what does this thing do? Uh, it's called Over. It's an, ed, uh, an app to edit photos. You can add uh, text and different images and graphics to your pictures. Is this like a meme gem generator? Like You could generate memes if me you were so inclined. Take, Mike, I'm going to need a couple pics of you later after the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting any pics of me. Uh, Christine, explain what memes are to listeners that might not know. Uh, memes are little graphics that usually have text overlaid on them, and there's usually a bit of a joke with them. And that's why you're not getting any pictures of me, <laughs> Andy. So why why would I want this? So this obviously works in conjunction with the pictures you take that are on your smartphone. Yes. Uh, so why you would want this is you've seen all those uh, fancy graphics that people post on social media with the text overlaid on them. Um, so if you want to create that yourself, you can do it with Over. And it makes you look cool because they look good. It does make you look cool. They look beautiful. Um, if you're familiar with something like Canva that you can do on your desktop, this is similar, but you can do it right on your phone. It even has some presets so that it will size things for you for different social networks like Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest, etc. And MySpace? Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> A <laughs> little behind the, the times on that one. Uh, and, and what uh, platforms is this available on? It's iPhone only, and it's free for the basic version, but there are some um, pro features that you need a pro subscription for. 
like what and how much is that um it uh you know what i'm not sure what the cost is in canadian but uh the pro features basically allow you to grab stock photos as well ah. so just for the iphone that sucks for you andy well you know we do have one at, at in the studio so i can still make a mean generator <laughs> of you i'm just gonna need a pick so you'd be so kind Thank you uh, for that app, Christina. Uh, Andy, what's the contest one more time? We're giving away the Motorola Moto G4 Play smartphone. This is one of the most popular smartphones on earth, actually, uh, because you get so much value for what you're getting. All you have to do is go to our, our website, getconnectedmedia.com. From there, find our Facebook site, because that's where we're going to be hosting all these contests. Just go straight to Facebook. You can go to our website to find that link, or in Facebook, Type in Get Connected Media, all one word, and like our page and enter our contest for the Motorola Moto G4 Play. I want to thank all the folks that helped put Get Connected together. Of course, Annie Brewer, my co-host and producer, and Christina for coming in every week with her App of the Week and the rest of the Get Connected team back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.